everybody, and welcome to Date Night with Tactic and Nerd Bomber. Oh, oh wait, no, wrong show. I'm just kidding. This is the Online Warriors podcast. My name is Nerd Bomber. I'm joined by Tactic over there. Hello. And this is the Online Warriors podcast. Like I said, you know, your news, entertainment, fun, nerdy stuff every week. Illegal is usually our proud host who kind of runs us through everything, but he is taking a little bit of a vacation, big life events happening over in the Illegal's Roost. So it's just me and Tactic this week. Tactic, how are you feeling? I am feeling great. And first off, I just want to start off by saying what a great intro. I honestly thought we were on a different show for a second. So you caught me off guard there. Welcome to the show, folks. So we have a lot of really nerdy news here to cover. We have the whole Nintendo Direct that dropped last Thursday. We got a ton of new gaming news and announcements for the Switch over a variety of different games. Some, you know, DLC announcements and some just brand new new news, as well as Netflix's To Dumb event. And I believe it's pronounced To Dumb because it's supposed to be like that, you know, that intro snippet for all of their original content. And Netflix, it was like a three-hour streaming event. They dropped a ton of news about all of the originals that they have in store for us. So, Tectic, what would you like to get started with? Which one are you most excited about? Honestly, this all couldn't have come at a better time. We're, we're going into winter now, and I need my hibernation content. And so the thing that I'm most excited for is Nintendo Direct, because I have been getting into the Switch lately. I, for those of you who don't know, I just pre-ordered Metroid Dread. And I am very excited to relive my childhood through all these various games that I played as a kid. And sip out of a mug. And it came with a mug. Gotta love those pre-order bonuses. We don't pre-order often, but when we do, we make it count. You can never have too many mugs. You really can't. You know... We always do a little bit of a banter before we get into the news, and I would just like to discuss our mug collection really quickly. Tactic, some would say that we have too many mugs, but I posit there is no such thing. I've gone out of my way to get a mug from literally every place I've worked from, even if they weren't giving out mugs at that particular occasion. I walked away with one. What would you say is your favorite mug that you own? Because we have like, we obviously have like our workplace mugs, but we have some like nerdy, fun pop culture mug stuff going on. My favorite mugs are corporate mugs overall. That said, I really love the fake corporate mugs. The ones that you can have at work and they're super, super subtle where everyone would think, oh, that's the guy that that's the, the, the previous place you worked at and not think anything of it. But in reality, I never worked at Stark Industries. Never did. Never will. And so that is my favorite mug. I think my favorite is probably we have like the online warriors newsroom mug and this is going to sound super stupid and probably like I'm shilling for our own podcast merch but I'm really not but like nothing makes you feel more official I think this is probably why you like corporate mugs like you just feel super official you know having the name of your company or whatever on whatever you're drinking coffee out of you just feel like you know you, you made it you're there you're doing your like nine to five so when we're editing in the early hours of the morning i'm sipping out of that you know branded mug i'm like oh i made it i made it so i think that's my favorite mug that or my pluto mug that you got me from disney world that that's up there too she loves it so much she's afraid to drink out of it because she doesn't want it to be ruined from being washed i am well it's a hand wash only that's so difficult for me anything that's hand wash only i just i struggle with because i'm too lazy so then it'll just sit there and get that little like coffee grub on the bottom because i'll never hand wash it That's just who I am. I've made my peace with it. With that said, let's jump into Nintendo Direct. So, like I said, there were a ton of different announcements here. A lot of, like, DLC announcements, updates on games that have already been announced. But we also got some, like, quote-unquote new news for new games that we haven't either seen in a while or that just weren't announced before. So, I think we'll try to keep things a little top-level and hit on the biggest announcements out of the Nintendo Direct this week just because we do have so much news to cover. And let's kick it off with Kirby and the Forgotten Land. And this one actually leaked a little bit before the Nintendo Direct. I think it showed up on one of the Nintendo retail sites, but This is a new 3D Kirby game announced for the Switch, taking place in a little bit of a different setting for Kirby. You know, this is more post-apocalyptic. A lot of people said it was giving off like the Last of Us vibes. You know, you've got that dilapidated cityscape, the overgrown buildings, the like returning to Earth kind of look that you see in post-apocalyptic shows and movies. 
But amongst the kind of downtrodden setting, we still get that super cute Kirby gameplay. You know, there's adorable chicks, adorable puppy enemies that he sucks up and spits out. So just a really interesting juxtaposition of two vastly different vibes. Now, Tectic, have you ever played a Kirby game before? And what do you think about this in relation to the ones that you've already played? So I have. I've played Kirby's Adventure and Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland. Both of those games are side-scrollers. And so I'm very excited about this one being a 3D platformer type game because for me, all I experienced was the side scroller. So it kind of puts a different twist on it and it makes it feel more open worldy. I can tell you guys, this is something I'm going to buy. I just pre-ordered, like I said, Metroid Dread and I couldn't be more excited to just go through all these games, Kirby, Metroid. Um, what else did I play as a kid? I just finished the Sonic games. I'm all about this. I don't want to be an adult, guys, so I'm just going to continually relive my childhood. Thank you very much. See, this is really interesting for me because as a kid, I never really got into the whole Kirby thing. And I'm not trying to say I was like an edgy kid by any means, but there was something a little bit too cutesy about Kirby, especially when at the same time when I was a kid, you know, you had your Ty the Tasmanian Tiger who was sassy. You had your Jack and Daxter, Sly Cooper, Ratchet and Clank, like all of those 3D platformers that had a little bit more of an edge to them. And by edge, I'm like, they're, they were still very family friendly child-friendly platformers but that that was just where I lived you know I lived in that like Spyro Crash Bandicoot zone and Kirby you would think like cute things would be at my alley but this new take on it you know I'm kind of curious to see what they do with this setting and what this story is going to be because if they're introducing Kirby into a little bit more I don't want to call it dark because it still looked super super adorably bubblegummy cute here but if they're going to have like an actual kind of like deep developed story, I'm kind of interested and I'll probably want to see where this goes. Not to mention, you know, lately the Nintendo games have really been just like scratching that itch because I think there is so much stuff going on in the world. Like I like that cutesy kind of stuff. So I think I think I'm going to get into this. Like, why do you think that they decided to go in this direction, though? Do you think like because this is a pretty big departure from Kirby's normal direction and style. I think they're trying to leverage the graphical capabilities of the Switch and show that it's it's here to not mess around when it, when you look at it compared to the competitors. And granted, we're talking vastly different hardware between, you know, the PlayStation and the Xbox. But the fact that it can show these vast worlds in this less realistic, I guess, genre, I think it it, it has something to say as opposed to just front-loading the switch with just these standard games that could have been played on lesser consoles yeah i do agree because i mean we'll talk about a game later on that you can kind of see that it's been not bogged down but kind of hampered by the switch being locked into 720p but i will say this game looked really good and i think you might be right you know trying to leverage that hey just because you know the switch has a little bit more limited graphic capability compared to your ps5s your xbox series x doesn't mean that we can't make good-looking, slightly mature-looking games, even in a cute zone. So Kirby and the Forgotten Land is coming in spring 2022. We are looking forward to that. One that I'm really, really looking forward to is Chocobo GP. I'm not really a big Final Fantasy fan at all, really. Like, I've played Kingdom Hearts. I have some of the Final Fantasy games, I know like the Final Fantasy remaster that came out a couple years ago has been touted as like a really good game. And I want to get into it because I did love Kingdom Hearts so much. Um, but this is actually a new kart racer exclusive to the Switch that is Final Fantasy based. And so when I was thinking, when I saw like kart racer being announced i was hoping it was mario kart but no this is final fantasy but it still looks really cute and fun and you know it features a bunch of the franchise's beloved characters you're romping around final fantasy themed lands and i think if i'm not mistaken back in like the 90s on the original playstation there was actually a chocobo racing game back then too that people loved and it was actually pretty good so if this follows in the same pedigree i think a lot of people will be really happy how do you feel about this? Like, do you have a lot of ties to the Final Fantasy franchise or would it even matter? Would you want to play this game either way? Most of my ties to the Final Fantasy franchise are to Kingdom Hearts and playing over at my friend's house where I really didn't have a lot going on or know what was really going on. I just thought Cloud was really cool. As Cloud far as, is really cool. 
Exactly. As far as racing games, I could take it or leave it with racing games. I know you're probably looking at me. You are looking at me <laughs> with an angry face. But the few racing games really tickle my fancy. And the one that really got it right, in my opinion, and I could say this better than Mario Kart 64, was the Sonic Racing. I thought they oh, had yeah. it much more true to form as what it, what it should feel and look like. And I just struggle with games that don't meet that bar. You know, that is fair. So I will say, as Tactic kind of just said, I'm a huge fan of kart racing. I don't really know when it happened. I, not that I used to like kind of put my nose up at them, but like I was always like, oh, you know, it's just, it's a fun party game. And then he introduced me to Team Sonic Racing. I think it was All-Stars, Sega I can't remember the name. There are a lot of words in the title, but it was the one that didn't just come out, but came out back in like the 360 PS3 days. And it had like, you know, the whole Sega docket of characters and the cars turned into boats and planes. And I got really addicted to it playing like the the quest line and the campaign. And then that bumped me into Mario Kart's campaign, which then led to Crash Team Racing's campaign. And then, you know, the team sonic racing came out and i jumped into that campaign and i feel like i don't even care if this has a good story or if it has characters that i care about just needs good mechanics yeah so i'm really hoping i'm a big kart racing fan i don't really know any of these characters for the most part i'm I'm gonna play this anyway this is this has me it's so stupid terrible reason to buy this game but it's it's got me so, Tactic, will you at least play it with me? Maybe once or twice. Like I said, if, if it just doesn't feel right in, in, the, in the old hands, nah. So, not to like diverge, but when we played Crash Team Racing, how did that measure up? Because I believe we played a lot of that together. Like, How did that measure up in terms of like your ultimate ranking? Like, What is your ultimate kart racing ranking if you had to the put them in The ultimate one was the Sonic one where you're transforming into boat, plane, the original one. The second one that they made in that series sucked i mean it wasn't that bad sonic team racing was not good crash was okay so i'd probably rank crash the second one and then mario Mario kart Kart would probably be top three to to round it out or maybe mario kart might be two yeah mario kart i would rank second okay that's fair i feel like i could see like i i just really want a new mario kart to be honest i feel like the switch has been out for a while mario kart i think it's eight that we're on has been out for a while now at this point. Give me a new Mario Kart. In the meantime, though, Chocobo Grand Prix GP will be coming out in 2022 sometime. So we can look out for that. One of the other big announcements, and this one wasn't necessarily a game or a new game, but it's a update to the Nintendo Switch online subscription service. So Nintendo announced that there's a new membership tier coming to Nintendo Switch online. And they're bringing some very beloved N64 games like Ocarina of Time, Super Mario 64, as well as surprisingly a slew of Sega Genesis games to the console. And they're even teasing that a bunch of N64 games like Pokemon Snap, among a bunch of others, will be coming later. But they also announced that this is going to be coming as an expansion pack. It's going to be another tier of the subscription service. So it won't be like your base level. You're going to have to pay extra to get those games. And there's going to be two new true-to-form N64 and Sega Genesis wireless controllers that you can buy to complement the service, each one $499.99. What do you think of, you know, adding a more expensive tier to the Switch Online service? Like, up until this point, Nintendo Switch Online has been by far the cheapest yearly online subscription service out of all of, out of the consoles. But, you know, they've also added a lot of content for free up till now. What do you think of them? You know, you're, you're getting this additional content, but you have to pay more. Is that acceptable? Do you think it should just be part of the existing service tier? Like, what do you think about that? So I think they should do it in the same vein that, that Game Pass is. I think that's a great model. I think it's not really that different from actually what they're proposing here but the thing is just touting ocarina of time and super mario 64 and a slew of sega games it doesn't necessarily get me sold because i have a nintendo 64 and some some nintendo 64 games and the thing that would really sell me is is if they had the games that 
I continue to this day to struggle to find copies of because they were just so sought after. For example, Mario Party was one. Smash was another is another one that's hard to get. And my all-time number one N64 game that I cannot ever find at a reasonable price, Gauntlet Legends. Reach out to me on social media if you guys played Gauntlet Legends. That game was amazing. I remember we went to a retro game con a while back. Like, man, it must have been like seven or eight years ago. And I remember that was the one game that you wanted to walk away with. And no vendor at the entire convention had a copy of Gauntlet. Not a single one. And you could find it online, but it's like hundreds of dollars. So no thanks. And so that's my first comment. So if they have, like I said, all of these hard to reach games or hard to obtain games, yeah, I'm absolutely sold because I've been trying to obtain said games. The other thing that I'm sort of confused about is who is asking for a Nintendo 64 controller? Even playing the Nintendo 64, I hate handling the Nintendo 64 controller. They said, okay, let's see how hands work here. And then said, let's forget all of that and just build a controller. It makes no sense. You end up with this burn mark in the center of your palm from twisting that little freaking joystick. The Nintendo GameCube controller was the highest level of zen that you guys achieved with controllers and then everything else can can go away see i don't necessarily mind them bringing these controllers back but to price it at 50 dollars when you can for another like 10 or 20 get the nintendo pro controller for the switch like i don't know why anybody would do this and i'm especially like the n64 because it's nintendo Well, right, but the N64, like, I get that a little bit because, yeah, it's super, like, ergonomically weird. But at least it's, like, a unique form factor. I'm looking at the Sega Genesis controller, and, like, I grew up with that. Don't get me wrong. But it's basically just a D-pad and, like, three buttons. There's nothing special there. There's nothing that screams, I need to pay $50 for this controller. There's not even, like, triggers or bumpers. It was literally just a basic gamepad with buttons in a row instead of in like your cross pattern like we see now i think that's a little steep for me personally it's very very strange right that's what i'm saying who's asking for these i like i get like you said the nostalgia factor to sort of rebuild the whole experience but it's just not the same and it's they weren't that great like i do even get like bringing all of these games to the nintendo switch online service because it's it's the convenience factor you know and especially like we have the N64, but our our TV doesn't even really have, I don't think, the right AVI inputs. Oh, I've adapted the snot out of it. We're good there. Well, yeah, I know we have the adapters, but like setting it up is a pain in the butt. And I'm sure not a lot of people outside of super big retro game nerds want to take the time to get those adapters and stuff and make their TV compatible with their N64. So for the convenience factor, I definitely get it. It's just, they haven't announced how much more expensive this new tier will be. It is going to be launching in October, and they did say that there will be more pricing information to come. So I'm really interested to see, you know, how much more expensive they make it. Because I could also see this being, you know, one of those things where you get a bug up your butt to play these N64 games, you get a temporary subscription up to the next level so that you get access and then what draws you into keep subscribing at that level that i i don't know it's not like game pass where there's a ton of new stuff rotating in and out so i'm interested to see how much longevity that has as an expansion to the service and not just like baked right in moving forward to another big game announcement bayonetta 3 now i'm not a huge bayonetta fan tactic are you a bayonetta fan Nothing beyond uh, Smash Ultimate. Other than that, eh, I could take it or leave it with Bayonetta. The graphics look sweet, I will say that. See, I didn't think so, but I guess, well, let's give an overview first. So it was actually, Bayonetta 3 was announced back in, I believe it was 2017. And so people have been waiting a while to get a bigger glimpse at this game. We haven't really seen anything about it, heard anything about it for years now. And this is the first one, you know, they kind of saved it as the big reveal for the end of the show. And, you know, it kind of opens up a ton of soldiers are trying to take down this giant kaiju looking monster to no avail. And then Bayonetta steps in and just kind of wrecks shit. And I'm not going to lie, they kind of had me going in the first half. So this is a Platinum Games title. You know, it said Platinum Games, I believe, right at the very beginning. 
I legitimately thought this was Astral Chain. Just from the setting of the game, it looks like a more urban setting. And then they trotted out that mascot dog from Astral Chain, Lappy. And so I even turned to Tactic while we were watching the direct. And I was like, this is Astral Chain too. And then I said, nah, it's Bayonetta. And I got to be honest, I was a little disappointed. Big, big fan of Astral Chain. I am really looking forward and hoping that was kind of a hint that Astral Chain might be coming back. Like, I don't know why else they would drop Lappy there. But Bayonetta 3 was revealed instead. And compared to the first games, you know, she's got a new look a new voice actress, and a little bit of a different aesthetic. But the gameplay does look very fluid and action-y. Now, Tactic, you mentioned you thought this looked graphically very good. Yeah, the so the beast summoning aspect of it was the thing that absolutely drew me in. when um, So the large bad guy appears and she's like, uh, I got this. And then all of a sudden does this thing. And then you saw that she had a big monster that was fighting it. And then there was this big pterodactyl thing that was fighting. I don't know a lot about Bayonetta. I'm going to be honest here. But this looked cool. This looked very Godzilla battle stuff. And I was like, all right, all right. I can mess with this. See, the combat to me looked like a lot of fun. And I always, I've always had a lot of fun with Platinum Games style format. You know, it's very action-y, just very flashy, super cool. But this is kind of the first time that I noticed the graphical limitations of the Switch a little bit. And this could just be because, you know, I'm coming off of playing Deathloop on the PS5 and it looks freaking amazing. And, you know, having a lot of that next-gen experience where the graphics are 4K, HDR, out of this world, blowing my mind sort of deal. But this was the first time I was like, oh, the Switch is kind of, it's a little behind the times. And that made me a little sad. So for me, I, I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to see. I haven't played the first Bayonetta's. I'm not sure if I'll jump into it here, to be honest. I, I just, I'm not sure about this. How did you not notice it on Astral Train? I was playing that in handheld mode. So for primarily handheld mode. And so I guess I just didn't really notice because it's such a small screen and like with handheld mode, you you know you're not going to get the full 4K experience. But when I saw this trailer on like our 65 inch 4K HDR TV, I was like, oh, well, okay. I don't know. Just me, but interesting. Do you think you're going to get into this tactic? No, I've got already a lot of homework from the aformed mentioned games. Fair enough. Yeah, there's there's a lot to get through. A lot of other games too, even outside of the Nintendo ecosystem coming up. So yeah, it's going to be a busy next few years. Bayonetta 3 is coming in 2022. And now this was a big one. The Super Mario movie casting. They came out and they announced the full voice cast for the Illumination movie for Super Mario. And Illumination, if you're not aware, like they did the whole Minions thing, Despicable Me. Let me just run you through this cast real quick. You have Chris Pratt as Mario. Anya Taylor-Joy as Peach. Charlie Day as Luigi. Jack Black as Bowser. Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. And then Charles Martinet, who actually does like, you know, the game voice of Mario. Yeah. Yahoo! That guy, Yeah. He'll be making random cameos throughout the movie, so he won't have like a set character. He'll just pop up here and there. They also announced that the movie release date was tentatively going to be December 21st, 2022. What, like the internet was all kind of like, they had their panties in a bunch because, you know, Chris Pratt as Mario doesn't seem like a very obvious choice here. Tactic, what was your kind of initial reactions to seeing this voice cast get run down here? So I honestly like, Every single cast member except for Chris Pratt. I think Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong is a hilarious choice. I think Keegan Michael Key as Toad. I was <laughs> at first I just started laughing, but the more I think about it, the more I love it. Um, Jack Black was born to play Bowser. I can. He's got to do some kind of a riff in standard Jack Black fashion for me to really just be in love. Charlie Day as Luigi, I've seen fantastic impressions of people. And again, this was one of those where I started off skeptical, but like, I'm kind of sold on Charlie Day as Luigi. Like, because he's he's kind of skittish. And Charlie Day also has that sort of skittish nervousness in his voice. And we've seen that in Luigi's Mansion. 
Anya Taylor-Joy as Peach. I think she has sort of that Peach vibe, personally. Peach vibe. Yeah, she's a peach. Um, And then, I don't know if that can be taken as dirty. It's not (laughs) dirty, guys. And then Chris Pratt as Mario. Mario, I don't... I don't think I can get behind until I actually see it. And even then, I'm probably just going to go, stop, stop talking. See, so my initial reaction was also like, "Eh." but Chris Pratt actually has like kind of extensive voice acting experience. Like in in the Lego movie. Yeah, he's had other roles before. So I'm not like... He can't sound like himself, I guess, is what I'm struggling with. If he just comes in and sounds like Chris Pratt, that's going to be really disappointing. Like, he has to try to come in with some kind of, like, Mario accent that will set him apart from just his regular voice. Because if I'm just hearing Chris Pratt's voice out of Mario's face, it's going to be super jarring. I'm going to hate it. Some of these other cast members, like, I have to say, like, they spared no expense when they went after this cast. These are all, like, prime voice actors Everybody pretty much loves most of these people on this list. I just, it's going to be a super original and unique take. And I'm a little bit worried about that just because, you know, I don't know. I feel like these are such iconic characters and their voices. And I know they don't really talk in most of the games, but like their like meeple morple voices are kind of set in my brain. And so having to separate them from that voice that I've been hearing the entire time I've grown up is going to be very interesting. But if you've watched um, any kind of showcase with Charles Marnette, he's he's like red as as Mario. And so I've kind of got that in my head. And, and, and similarly with Luigi, they both have this sort of a, I guess we'll call it an Italian twang to it. And... I could sort of see Luigi doing that or or Charlie Day doing that well. But Chris Pratt, he doesn't come off as a... He needs to be a a strong Italian character to parallel Luigi's skittish Italian character. And Chris Pratt's just going to be this this guy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of curious, too, about, like, Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. I feel like... I, I can't do the Seth Rogen laugh. Tactic, I know you can. Just do the... (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Like... I'm trying to picture in my brain Donkey Kong doing the Seth Rogen laugh, and it's not computing, but maybe. The only dialogue that I have from Donkey Kong, though, is what I was exposed to in the animated series as a kid, and it was kind of dopey, the the voice that they did. And I think Seth Seth Rogen would actually do better than what that was back then, because I, I didn't I didn't think it was done right back then. It's so, it's really hard because all of these characters are just so iconic. And, you know, whether we're talking about the old school shows or animations from the 90s or, you know, a new feature animation now, nailing these voices, there's just so much scrutiny. It feels a lot like, you know, the skepticism that I felt with both Detective Pikachu and Sonic. Both of those movies, I had a hard time wrapping my head around you know, the voice actors for the characters. And don't get me wrong, I love Ryan Reynolds, but when you told me Ryan Reynolds was going to be Detective Pikachu, I was just like, what? No, that's not going to work. And then it worked. So I'm very eager to have my skepticism proven wrong here. And hopefully, I mean, you know, maybe maybe it'll be good. I guess we'll have to see December 21st, 2022. And now just some like quick bullets of stuff that we kind of have to gloss over for time's sake. You know, there was some new DLC announced for Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak coming summer 2022. New Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity expansion pass coming in October. There were some new trailers for Triangle Strategy, Metroid Dread, Splatoon 3. The announcement of an ActRaiser remake, which was actually available immediately after the show. A new card game, Voice of Cards, The Isle Dragon Roars, which actually looked pretty interesting for someone like me who kind of likes card games. And, you know, some Dying Light trailers for the Switch, as well as the announcement of the original Knights of the Old Republic coming to Switch. That kind of wrapped up the Nintendo Direct. Tactic, did you come away from this showcase feeling like very hyped and excited? Like, what was your overall impression after the show? If they just started and stopped with Kirby, and Super Mario, I think I would have been content. 
but I would have been left with a little tickle in my side because like I said, Chris Pratt is going to be terrible in that role. Um, but overall, I thought it was pretty exciting, pretty good. I have a lot to look forward to. And uh, I did not like that they said a lot of the films that they showed right off the bat, it was, we're going to have this coming soon. We're going to have that coming soon. It didn't actually really show us anything. Yeah, Just like the, the Animal Crossing New Horizons. They actually announced that was when I forgot to read off on the bullet. There's going to be a separate direct instead of just, you know, show us the stuff now. Yeah, just don't mention it if there's going to be a second thing. Don't be like, I I don't want to be on the lookout for other things. I just want to see it when it's available. Yeah, that was that was probably the only thing I really felt left wanting. I, I don't like when they do that either. But, you know, overall, to me, this is a very impressive Nintendo Direct. I think for me, it hit a little bit home better than the last couple that we've seen from Nintendo. I feel like we got bigger announcements and so I'm looking forward to what's in store for the Switch for the next couple years. Now, before we move on to our Netflix news, we are going to take our short break and we are going to shout out our very awesome Patreon producer, Stephen Keller. Take a bow. Give yourself a pat on the back. Thank you so much. Stephen supports us at the night level on Patreon. At the night level, he gets a weekly producer shout out. He gets to come on the show every three months for a super awesome guest spot. And he gets to help decide in our games, get exclusive vlogs, get exclusive bonus episodes. So much great stuff. We also have two other levels of our Patreon tiers. We have the page and the night. They both get some awesome stuff as well. If you want to support the show help us keep the lights on, keep us talking all things nerdy. Check it out at patreon.com slash online warriors podcast. Thanks again to Steven. And now a quick ad break. Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there's something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Nerd Bomber and I specifically enjoy the creamy dill chicken as mm-hmm. our most recent meal. And it was creamy and dilly and chickeny. Go to the link in our show notes to get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book, Book of Lies, the podcast where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar. And learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies Podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, Facebook, and Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast. Bye! Bye. All right, welcome back. We have Netflix's Tadam, a Netflix global fan event. There's a lot to cover here. So we're just going to dive right in. Stranger Things season four. I feel like they've been drip feeding us information, little teaser tidbits at a time. And, you know, we got another little short trailer. This time we saw the gang exploring the Creel house and this is a key new location apparently in the upcoming season. Victor Creel is an inmate at the Penhurst Mental Hospital who apparently committed a grisly murder back in the 50s and the gang is exploring his house for some reason that we do not know. What kind of vibes are you getting from this little teaser trailer? I got allegedly committed a grisly murder and I also got vibes that they're not done with the demi-dogs this to me seemed like that clock is sort of a narnia door into the alternate dimension that those demi-dogs chilled at 
That's actually really cool. I didn't actually consider that at all. That's a really interesting take, though, because, you know, I just assumed because they kind of gave this creepy, eerie vibe to Victor Creel and like the 1950s flashback of this house. I just, I guess, assumed that he would be another like experimented on kid, kind of like Eleven was, maybe like predating that her experiment you know, maybe he was one of the first people they tested stuff on, but it could be interesting. Like maybe he was innocent the entire time and there was just this portal to the upside down. And when he was the only survivor, what else would the cops think? Then, then he did it. And, and if he's going, oh, this weird demon killed them. It wasn't me. If I'm a cop, I'm like, yeah, buddy, you're under arrest. I like the way you think, Tactic. This gave me something to chew on. I'm I'm excited. You know, I feel like this is probably one of the first little snippets from season four that I kind of wanted to think about a little bit more. Like the other ones were just like, oh, hey, you know, we see some Russia. Like we know what's going to happen with Hopper and Russia. For, well, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen, but like you can get an inkling. It's not like the super hidden thing. This is like the first kind of new feeling trailer that we saw. So I think this made me a little bit more excited for Stranger Things. Man, I'm hoping this comes out soon, though. Like, I don't know how much more of these little teasers I can take. Like, just give it to us at this point. Like, I'm, I'm ready, you know? Yes, I do know. So moving on to new seasons of things, there was a lot of news for The Witcher. So we got a new season two trailer, you know, very war-filled feature. You get the debut of a new character, Vesemir, who's the oldest Witcher and Geralt's mentor. And they also gave us, you know, a behind-the-scenes look at the upcoming prequel, Blood Origin, as well as the official announcement that The Witcher has been renewed for a third season. You know, that's all well and good. If you're a fan of The Witcher, you're probably going to love it, you know. I feel like it's one of those shows. It hasn't really reached that fandom, that Game of Thrones fandom level. But, I mean, people loved The Witcher's first season. I'm sure they're going to love the second season probably very excited. I don't know enough about the books or video game to really speak on what I think is going to happen. Tactic, I don't know if you do. I do not. First off, I can say that the new Witcher that is introduced, love and his mustache. That was awesome. Secondly, if you haven't started watching the show, I want to know, did this trailer kind of get you into it? Maybe consider watching the first show? Because for me, it totally did. I thought this had a ton of magic and action and looks like a lot of developing characters. And I think we should start watching it personally. If not now, then when? Because winter is upon us. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I don't disagree. I think I could get really into this. The thing that actually made me a little confused though, so they also announced there's going to be a kid series set in the world of The Witcher. And this is one thing I really wanted to like stop and have a discussion on. How do you think they're going to pull that off? Like, how do you set a family-friendly show in a world so full of violence and war and dark magic and all that kind of stuff? Like, I'm very curious. Like, what do you think they're going to do here? How do you think they're going to make this work? Because I don't know. For a second there, I thought you were asking me, how do you raise a kid in a world full of war? And and I was like, oh, this is getting dark, but real. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I think it's going to be centered around the magic side of it. I mean, keep in mind, he has a, seems to be a bard following him all around, which has that cheery chipperness side. So I think that could resonate with, with children and have this comic relief as it has with adults. I think there's ample opportunity to err on the light side of things. This is a vast world that is going to have very many facets of it beyond just the grotesque action that we see yeah and i do think from like a netflix standpoint it's really interesting because like it makes it very obvious that they're not content with the witcher just being like a single show you know they're definitely trying to make this into a franchise juggernaut i mean game of thrones honestly what they were able to do with considering it was mostly just a show there were like video games that spun off the show but for the most part like it was really just a hbo show and how much of a cultural zeitgeist that became I feel like that's kind of what Netflix wants to do with The Witcher here. I think that was the aim, obviously, from the beginning. But the fact that they really are expanding and now even trying to get people in watching it with their kids in a family-friendly theme or setting somehow, 
they definitely want this to be like, oh, I, I don't want to say cradle to grave because I don't think this thing will be a lot around for like 90 years to follow a kid all the way to the time they're old. But like they definitely want to make sure this hits all audiences. So very interesting to see what we're going to get in the world of The Witcher. One of the ones that I was actually really interested in, we got a Sandman live action trailer. And this is the Netflix adaptation. It's a DC title, not like a DC superhero thing by Neil Gaiman. I don't know a lot about the Sandman, but I've heard it's like a very critically acclaimed comic book. And basically he is death, correct? I feel like you know a little bit more about this than me. He's dream, not death. Death is different. So if you're thinking this person is a superhero with the ability, no, this is literally the Sandman, the, the, the Sandman that you hear stories about. This is it. And what's cool about this uh, particular series is, you know, as Nerd Bomber said, it's a DC title is, yeah, it takes place in the DC universe. But what's also good about it is you would have zero clue that it takes place in the DC universe because it, it's sort of its, its own subsect of everything. And, and it... It's not a superhero movie, and that's what's exciting about it. I think in a, in a time where you're saturated with superhero movies, these kind of standalone comics are fantastic. So what this is, is basically the Sandman is, is sort of held captive by a cult, and he's he wants to escape. He finally escapes and seeks revenge, but then it becomes his own redemption arc that we're, we're going to see a sort of a horror film turned hero story arc, and I'm very excited for this. This is... This comic has a lot of potential for live action, and I honestly couldn't be more excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I think this looks really cool, and I'm excited to see, you know, obviously we always talk about Marvel and DC superhero movies and comic book basis, but it's important to realize, and I think studios are are finally starting to see this, comics are more than just superheroes. There are great graphic novels out there with fantastic stories, and I mean, we, we... get some of those with like the boys and stuff but there's and obviously the walking dead no one can forget the walking dead that basically like had its own little comic book revolution but there's so many good graphic novel stories out there and to see studios really start to kind of like diversify where they're drawing their source material from is really really good i know you like to diversify your portfolio so Yeah, I'm really happy that Netflix is going in this direction and kind of like branching out because, yeah, the superhero stuff, like obviously DC and Marvel, that's already spoken for with now, you know, HBO Max's run of DC character content and Disney Plus has their own like Marvel, I don't want to say Zetgeist again, but like it's a juggernaut, you know, the Marvel train is rolling on Disney Plus. So interesting to see Netflix kind of delve into a deeper pond and pick different source material one of the other things that i was excited about and i don't know if you were but i was because i really liked army of the dead we got a trailer for the army of the dead prequel movie army of thieves and you know it's like tangentially related they're one of the main characters in army of the dead is one of the main characters in army of thieves the safe cracker but this is more of a heist movie. There's not really zombies involved. I think we see like a snippet where zombies are just starting to like become a thing on the news. But in terms of like this movie, there's no zombies. It's more of just a, a thief heist movie. Tactic, what did you think about this? So this to me is um, the director building backstories. So I, I think we're going to see a prequel of literally every single one of the people that were in Army of the Dead, starting with the safe cracker. First and foremost, I'm calling it now. Secondly, I thought this looked kind of hilarious. I, I he the German safecracker was probably one of my favorite characters just because when everyone's all serious and let's go get him, he was all like, "Uh, what?" And I, I, they're just that that kind of hilarity combined with the action. I I think makes for a, a good movie night, honestly. So. I'm excited for this one. We're, we're definitely probably going to watch this. Definitely maybe going to watch this. We're going to watch this. Yeah, I would say we're definitely going to watch this. I I don't necessarily know if I agree with the fact that they're going to try to make a backstory for every character because one of the things that I thought was really interesting and I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to tie it in and if it's going to be just an utter coincidence or if there is actually going to be a tie-in. But if you noticed the... 
the owner of all of the safes that they were cracking an army of thieves was the same guy who set them on a mission to crack the Las Vegas safe in Army of the Dead. So I'm wondering how they're like, if that's going to be a prominent connection that will tie both movies together. I'm wondering, because I feel like that has to play a major role here. There's no way that's a coincidence. And I was also kind of curious, like, where did they get the safe cracker in Army of the Dead, who was so good at cracking this one specific safe? And he was such an integral part of that mission. Watching them try to explain that backstory is going to be really interesting. And I mean, I think, like you said, it's going to be very humorous and they're kind of putting their finger on their nose a little bit at, you know, your stereotypical heist movie. He even called it out in the trailer. He was like, oh, this is going to be one of those scenarios where we all have an individual role to play and we're all going to have to work together. And I feel like it's going to be very tongue in cheek humor. And I'm here for it. Very excited. Like I said, they're going to do it for all characters. Calling it now. We can make it a bet. Let's do it. We'll revisit this in like a year's time when we know more about the franchise of this. Because, I mean, we know that the Army of the Dead movie is going to turn into this big franchise because they're planning sequels and prequels, obviously. So we shall see. One of the things I didn't think I would be excited for, kind of was, was the League of Legends animated show trailer. So this is obviously based on the video game League of Legends. And it's like an anime show that seemed more adult and I kind of liked it. I was vibing with it. I don't know really anything about League of Legends, but something about the tone of this show really felt like something I would vibe with and get into. I don't know. I thought the art style was absolutely awesome. I, The one thing that I know is going to be amazing that comes out of this is the level of cosplay, the various characters, the various uh, light up suits, so to speak, that people have to choose from. It's 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 really limitless so couldn't be more excited there and we finished all of our animated movies and it's time for a new one so thank you league of legends for coming just at the right time well this is like this was and i know it's not even like close to the same in terms of art style or anything but in terms of the audience and maybe the content level this really felt a little bit more in line with invincible so I don't know. I feel like we've talked about this a lot, but in terms of like adult cartoons, I'm not really one of the, like, I'm not a huge South Park fan. I don't really, I don't watch a lot of the like popular adult cartoons. That's just, that's not my thing. But you know, these ones where they have like a a darker story and are more story driven than driven by laughs, I really get into so yeah, I think this is launching November 6, 2021, and I would not be surprised if you don't hear me talking about this on a show come November. Another show from Netflix that I'm super excited about, Cobra Kai had a new trailer, you know, the new season. They gave us the release date for the new season, December 31st. Cobra Kai was a show when it first released, because I think it started on like YouTube TV or whatever. And I remember looking at it and laughing and being like, oh, this is this is nothing. And then I really got into it when it moved over to Netflix. We really got into it. I think we binged the entire show in the span of like a week, all of the seasons that were available. And I was very surprised at, you know, the depth of the characters and how they were able to turn the Karate Kid's narrative on its head and, you know, give us the perspective of the villain, so to speak, and make you sympathize and empathize with him. Barney Stenson was right the whole time. He was the good guy. Yeah. So I've been anxiously awaiting for this new season to drop. And I think they showed some of the humor because one of the the big question marks, if you haven't watched all of Cobra Kai yet, I guess this is a teeny tiny spoiler, but the trailer kind of has it in the trailer. So... I don't know what to tell you. Basically, you've got now your Cobra Kai and your Miyagi-Do teaming up and all of the crazy fodder that will obviously ensue when you have two very different ideologies and dojos coming together to work for a common goal. So I thought this was looking pretty funny. And I'm curious to see, there was somebody who showed up in the trailer. I couldn't really make out who that was. Tactic, do you know who that was? I got I got a kick out of this, honestly, because they made it out like it was going to be this big reveal and only the six people of us that watched Karate Kid 3 knew who it was. Guys, 
it's Terry Silver. He's back. It makes sense. It's John Kreese's old friend. So if everyone's making teams, he's going to pick his old buddy back from the third one. Calling it now. Plus, he had the dumb ponytail back then, too. <laughs> Cobra Kai coming out December 31st. Now, we have two other quick ones before we move on. Don't Look Up is a new movie with Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Jonah Hill basically attempting to save the world from an impending collision with a comet. But the president of the United States, Meryl Streep, and her staffer, Jonah Hill, don't seem to be very receptive to the science. This seemed very kind of just like comedic and funny. It it seemed on the nose. For those of you who are in science or engineering or anything like that in the workplace, and you tell management bad news that they don't want to hear, and they're just kind of tone deaf to it. My goodness, this was so on the nose. I <laughs> I couldn't help but just absolutely love this scene. Yeah, so this movie, this is coming out December 24th. This looks like it'll be a funny one. And then lastly, this wasn't actually part of the to dumb, but this happened in the last week. Netflix acquired the rights to Roll Dahl's estate, you know, James and the Giant Peach. And they're aiming to, this is a quote, Create a unique universe across animated and live action films and TV, publishing, games, immersive experiences, live theater, consumer products, and more. And they will also receive royalties on the existing Royal Doll books. This feels like a really big deal. And I'm interested to see what they do with Royal Doll's content. Like we all we already saw, you know, there's been a decent amount of screen adaptations for Royal Doll books, but it seems like they're really planning to do a lot. And the things that I was really interested to see here was like, you know, the the games and the live theater aspect. I'm curious to see what they'll bring to that arena. We talked about Netflix kind of getting into the game scene, but, you know, the, the whole Netflix and the live theater part of this, I'm curious about. So, yeah, very interesting stuff. There is a ton of other stuff, you know, Vikings Valhalla first footage, Cowboy Bebop intro, teasers for Red Notice, the new season of Bridgerton, all that kind of fun stuff. But I mean, it was a three hour kind of reveal to dumb thing. And we just don't have time to cover everything. But, you know, a lot of stuff there. And check it out. Lots of cool trailers and announcements. Now, before we hop into trivia, we do have to talk about our what are you up to's. Tactic, what have you been up to this week? Okay, so I got a couple big announcements. First thing, we watched the Venom movie finally. I know it's been out since 2018. What were we waiting for? Well, to answer that question, we were waiting for it to go from free on HBO Max to having to pay for it. This <laughs> has been many months of me saying, let's watch it, and Nerd Bomber rolling her eyes, and finally she caved. So we watched it, but we paid money this time. Mistakes were made. Because that's how we roll. And I got to say, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. I'm thoroughly excited for Let There Be Carnage because mistakes were made. We waited too long to watch this. And the other update was Nerd Bomber and I were looking for a co-op game, and we decided to try Split Scream, Plants vs. Zombies. And I got to say... Kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Tell us how you really feel. It's just it's just kind of okay. It, there's nothing really captivating about it. The controls are kind of awkward. I got to find us a better split stream game, folks, because we are desperate and we can't wait any longer for Tiny Tina to come out. Yeah, that's fair. It was just okay. There's not a lot of split screen these days, man. But for me, when we weren't trying to find a split screen game or watching Venom... I was finishing Deathloop. That's right. I finished it. And man, it was a great game. I know I kind of summed up some of my early thoughts last week on the episode. And I want to dive in a little bit deeper here. So I think I mentioned last time how, you know, the game kind of didn't just toss you into the dark and tell you, oh, you know, figure out what you got to do. They did. They gave you like threads that you followed. And one of the things that I really appreciated about the game was that I could pick it up for any length of time, and I knew I could get through at least a little bit of a mission. And as you were going through the day, you know, the days were chunked up into time periods and locations. And as long as you got through a location, you know, you didn't have to complete the full day within one playthrough or anything like that. You could stop and save. And it never really felt 
like it was out of the realm of possibility to even finish a day or you lose a bunch of progress because even if you got killed for the most part you were basically hunting through for clues through a lot of the game until you could put together you know the perfect run and kill all of the visionaries in one day which was the ultimate goal of the game you know for the most part you were hunting for clues and even if you got killed you didn't really lose progress because you know you found a clue you know you got more information you could move on to the next thing you you didn't really lose anything one of the criticisms though I did have was that it was a little bit easy so in the beginning of the game you know there's a little bit more of a challenge because you know every time you die you lose your equipment, you don't have your weapons anymore, you don't have your power-ups or anything like that, you start from fresh with a rusty old SMG and the ability to double jump, and that's pretty much all you get at a machete. And, you know, initially you're like, oh wow, you know, this is going to be difficult because then I'm going to have to like find a gun that I like that doesn't jam, because if you just get like a standard commonality gun, one of the shticks was that, you know, the gun jams and that gets kind of annoying in a firefight. But very quickly, you get the ability to basically imbue objects and have them come back with you after you pass and like the day loops over. And that made it, I never really struggled. And like, I didn't really, it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't necessarily love struggling through games. I don't love dying and getting frustrated over and over. So like, I didn't really have a problem with it. But if people are looking for a challenge, you're going to find it very easy very quickly because you're going to find a gun that you like and you're going to be able to imbue it and you're going to be able to, you know, take it with you over and over. And then you're not really going to have an issue, you know, because you're going to have a good gun that you like and all your power ups. The other thing that I didn't like was how abruptly the game ended. And I don't want to give anything away, but basically I just thought there would be a little bit more exposition or, something at the end of the game but you kind of you finish the game and then that's just kind of it and like yeah you can go back and you can continue playing but like I I guess I just thought there would be more of an outro than what we got but basically like you finish what you need to do and that's credits start rolling (laughs) and like like I think that's almost a testament to the game and the writing and the story and the world and the characters that Arcane created in this game that I wanted more. And I think in a way, maybe they're just setting it up for a sequel or building on the world. But man, there's just so much good about this game. Like I was having a blast. I think I was playing this every single night without fail. Like, And you said you picked the guy, not the girl. So there's, there's two different modes to play here. If you're going to play the campaign through, you're going to only be able to play as Colt, who is the main male character you know they have the male and the female assassin going at each other and all of the ads so the single player aspect of the game you're following colt you are colt you're playing his story you're trying to break the loop now the interesting thing is if you want to play as the female assassin you're actually jumping into other people's games so you're not following a story or anything as the female assassin. You're literally just playing online, jumping into other people's games, trying to break their run for the day and kill them and make them loop and start over for the day. And so the interesting thing, and I actually, I turned it off when I was playing as cold. As you're playing as cold, you have the option to have, you know, random people from the internet world jump into your game. And so instead of, you know, your adversary assassin, when she's hunting you, being AI, it's going to be, you know, a real person, which supposedly makes it harder to battle. I just, I didn't want to deal with that. So I switched it into like friends only mode and none of my friends were playing that way. So they never jumped into my game. But that was just because like, I just didn't want to deal with it. You know, I wanted to be able to experience the story and not have someone like camping out and making my life miserable all the time that just that didn't seem so did fun. she never appear if it was on friend, friends only no it's just an ai so an ai jumps in instead and for me that's just a little bit more manageable because i can tend to predict ai behavior better than people so that that is one interesting aspect um that some people found fun i never really found a reason to play that way though like I never I think I gave it like a couple tries and then I took down a couple colts and I was just like "Mm, okay this is fun let me go back to my game now but I mean honestly like I didn't 
I didn't care about that because I was so immersed in the story. I was so immersed in finding little bits of lore hidden throughout the world. I usually am not really big at like reading documents and stuff as I go through the games. And I found in this one, I was reading everything that I found, listening to everything that I found. I mean, the gunplay was fun. The assassination aspect and like sneaking around, I played very stealthily, super fun. The powers on point, they felt, if you played Dishonored, felt like they took the Dishonored games and really like honed the powers that you had in those games and just let you had fun with them in this world. And man, the the stylistic nature of the game, I loved the atmosphere. I loved the voice acting. It was just, it was a great play. Like I still had those couple criticisms, but overall, like, I, I only wish that I had more time with it, to be honest. I might play it again. Who knows? Okay. So with that, we're going to move into our quiz. And the quiz topic is Venom. And to answer your question, is it Venom as in Marvel Venom or Venom as in Venom like a snake's Venom? And the answer is yes. I am all over the map today. So the way we're going to do this is we're going, I'm going to ask five questions. You have to get three of five correct to call it a W for the day. And how do I get a question correct? You have to be within 20% of the numerical value. Okay, I can do this. I think I can do this. So the first question, we're going to do Marvel's Venom. What year did Venom make its first appearance? In the comic, I'm assuming. Um, hmm. I'm trying to remember when Spider-Man even came out, because Venom originated as a Spider-Man villain, if I'm remembering right. Uh, I'm going to say 1980. You know, I was just thinking the fact that it's, we're in the 1900s, 20% of the 1900s. You can do like 80 or like whatever the last two digits are. Okay. That's better than 200. That's 20. So plus minus. So you have a 20 year range about 1980, you're saying. So it could be as high as 90 or low as 70. And the answer is 1988. So you got a point. It's good. I was close. Now we're going to move over to a different type of venom, snake venom. One bite from an inland Japan snake has enough venom to kill how many adult people? One bite. I mean, how would you know? Because if it bites one person, I guess they can extract the venom. Uh, I'm going to say 15 people. You are very wrong. It has enough venom to kill 100 people. Are you serious? By volume, it is the most venomous animal in the world to humans. And it's a snake, I said. The inland snake. I don't know why. I was thinking like, I don't know. So one and one. If you get another one wrong, that means nothing yet. Okay. So the next question. The 2018 Venom movie grossed how much worldwide? This is going to give me a big range. But I guess you could just do like the pre-million. Because I'm assuming this is in the millions. I'm going to say 150. 800. And $56 million. It did that well? I don't know very well. I assumed everybody like shat on this movie. I thought it was a flop. And you know what else did well? Nickelback. So, just saying. (laughs) Fair. All right. So, you have to get the next two 100% correct. Or you take the L. We're going to stay on Venom, Marvel's Venom. How many different known symbiotes are there? So, for example, Venom is one, Riot is another in, in the yeah. Venom movie that we watched. Are you talking about, like, comics and movies? or Because it wasn't Riot specific. I'm talking comics and movies. Okay. Um, I feel like... Th- By the way, Riot made a comic debut. I'm going to say there's probably there's probably a lot. There's, a, like, I think in the movie, didn't he say there's, like, millions of us? Right. But, no, but I know, but, like, they have to have, specific debuts. Right, I get that. But, like, I feel like... 20 isn't that out of possibility so sad did i lose you did there are 40 known ones including such people as toxin carnage anti-venom scream etc and so the highest you could have gotten if you got 32 it would have been count but you didn't and so that's three wrong last question just for funsies and this is a venom like venom like uh, snake stuff again Antivenoms have been around for quite a while, but not as long as you'd think. When was the first antivenom ever made? 
I feel like this was probably like, I don't know why I'm equating this to wars, but I feel like they probably researched this because of wars. And I want to say like probably like with the Vietnam War being in more jungly like territories. I'm going to say 1970, maybe. I don't know. So the answer was the 1890s and Australia actually led the way. Oh, see, you like it. you like kind of led the witness here by saying it wasn't they haven't been around as long as you say. Well, because I didn't want you to think like, oh man, China's been doing it forever. I'm gonna go six BC. I was trying to help you. Oh well, I'm really falling from grace here on my trivia high horse. Whew. So it looks like we're gonna maintain the status quo for this week, which is good. So that means illegal can just quote his standard books that he's been keeping, and so that's the episode, folks. I hope you guys had had enjoyed the episode and we will catch you next week.